Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning. Today, the second Sunday of Advent, we invite you to read responsively with us as we prepare our hearts. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We light up these candles as a sign of the coming light of Christ. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. I will lead the blind by a road they do not know, by the paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. Come, Lord Jesus, our light and our salvation. Let us walk in the light of So if you are visiting with us this morning, we are thrilled that you're here. And so let me tell you what we've done. We, we haven't actually done this the last couple of weeks, but this morning we want to do our small conversation groups again. And everybody's kind of going, oh, thought we were done with that. No, we're not done with that. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to get in, in small groups of three or four and um, and. Here's a question that I'd like for you to talk about for just a minute, and it's, it's not real deep or heavy. Introduce yourself and tell each other the best Christmas gift that you have ever given. The best gift that you can remember that you have ever given. So turn and find um, three or four other people and, and share your name and then share the gift. All right? We're talking, we're talking about hope during this Advent season, and last week we, we talked about the, the fact that the only place that we can truly put our hope is in Jesus, because only Jesus has the power to save. We can't put our hope in government because, well, who knows where that's going to go, um, We can only put our hope in Jesus because only Jesus has done what is needed to provide for us the life that we long for, this life with our creator, this, this better life. And so I asked you to to talk about the best gift that you have ever given because I want us to think this morning about how we might be able to give the gift of hope this Christmas. Um, For some reason, my rotate lock isn't working. So, anyways. Anyway, there you go. Um, Now, let's just be clear on what hope is, all right, before we move on. And we talked about this several weeks ago during our Mission Possible series. But hope when we talk about hope, we're talking about a preferred future. You don't hope for something 
if you're satisfied with where you are, right? We hope for better. You don't hope for worse. Unless, of course, you're a Giants fan and you're hoping the Cowboys lose. Um, because the Cowboys are rocking it. Um, but, but even that is actually hoping for something better for the Giants, right? So our, when we hope for something, we're hoping for something better. So hope always implies growth. Hope always implies moving from a current state to a better state. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. How do we give this gift of hope for something better to others during this Christmas season? Now, let me say right up front, this message is probably not going to be for everybody. Um, If you are here this morning and there are no difficult people in your life, if, you're, if everybody you're going to be around this, this season has enormous emotional intelligence and relational maturity, um, if no one around your Christmas table is going to be hard for you to track with, um, there's not going to be any kind of conflict, um, if, if nobody gets sarcastic, if nobody has messages that are barbed underneath, if nobody talks too much or drinks too much or smokes too much or is, is too egotistical or, or, you know, too whatever, if everybody in your life just is really solid, then you, this message is not for you. In fact, this church is probably not for you. <laughs> I mean... Because at this church, nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome, but nobody's perfect. So if I just described you and all the relationships that you're going to be engaged with through the holidays, you can just leave now and go get the goodies downstairs and you can just enjoy that. Nobody's leaving, okay? Well, we're all in good company because there were some messed up people at the first Christmas. So many of us, or so many people, have this unreal uh, kind of antiseptic view of the manger scene in this, of this world that Jesus entered into. And, and the problem with that is that we can start to think that, man, you know, if Jesus had to deal with the people I have to deal with, then he wouldn't have been talking about love all the time. Well, the reality is Jesus had to deal with the same kind of difficult people that we have to deal with. Challenging people, difficult people, scratchy people. Those same kind of people were there at the first Christmas. And I'd like to just think about a few of them. Let's start with what we'll just call disappointed people. I'm trying to come up with a kind of a nice word for them. These are disappointed people. These are people who are just disappointed with life. They're disappointed with their job. They're disappointed with the election. They're disappointed with their kids. They're disappointed with their parents. They're just, you know, 
they're just kind of Eeyore. You know, the, the donkey and Winnie the Pooh, you know. It, it's a beautiful day and there's one cloud in the sky. I think it's going to rain. You know, you go to this person and you've got great news to share and they go, well, I just don't think it's going to work that way. You know people like that? They're just disappointed. Well, there were some disappointed people at the first Christmas. There was this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what we know about them is that they're old. They had tried to serve God all their lives. And yet they were childless. They were infertile. And some of us know the pain of infertility. Infertility is always hard. Some of you know that pain. I know that pain. And so um, not only is there pain that goes with that, but in, in the ancient culture, there was a stigma also attached to it. That if you were barren, somehow you were doing something wrong. Uh, somehow God, God's hand was not on you. You didn't have enough faith. You, you were displeasing God somehow. So you would walk by and people would say, oh, well, there goes that in, you know, barren couple. And so that's what Elizabeth and Zechariah had going on in their life. They were disappointed. And so Zechariah... Um, One day, an angel comes to Zechariah. He's a priest. He's supposed to be a guy of great faith. He's serving in the temple, and this is in Luke chapter 1. The angel says to him, Zechariah, your prayers have been been heard, and you and Elizabeth are now finally going to have a child. So how does Zechariah respond? Wow, angel. Thanks, God. This is great news. No. Zechariah says to the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. He's an Eeyore. He he just doesn't believe the angel. So the angel says, Dude, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) Rough translation. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to give you this good news, but because you didn't believe my words, you're not going to be able to talk for nine months. You're not going to be able to talk until this baby arrives. So can you imagine the next nine months? Zechariah comes home from the temple and Elizabeth says, how was work today? He can't talk. There's no ESPN. There's no Netflix. All he can do is listen to Elizabeth all day long, just talking and talking. (laughs) Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. These are disappointed people. Or how about stressed people? Are there going to be any stressed people in your life? during this season, people who are stressed with their job, they're stressed with, with having to go to be with family, they're stressed with politics, they're stressed, all kinds of stress. Well, there were two people who lived in the most stressful situation maybe in the history of the world. 
You know, when we look at the manger scenes, we see Mary and Joseph almost always just looking very serene. You know, all is calm, all is bright. Think about what they were going through. Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old when they got engaged. And Matthew tells us that before they came together, before they began to live as husband and wife, before they were sexually intimate, she, Mary, was found to be pregnant. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It says before they were sexually intimate with each other, um, Mary was found to be pregnant. Who found out Mary was pregnant? Mary did. It's not a trick question. (laughs) Do you not know how this works? I mean, maybe you should have a conversation with someone biologically informed. I don't know. But um, Mary found out she was pregnant. And so she goes to tell Joseph. And I can just, I don't know that this is how it went, but I can imagine the conversation. Joseph, an angel came and spoke to me. Joseph, I'm going to have a a son. Joseph, he's going to be the son of God. Joseph, we're going to raise this baby together. And Joseph's saying, really? You're really going to stick with this angel story? Really? I mean, he didn't believe her because it says that he decided that he was going to divorce her. But then Joseph gets visited by an angel and he has to go back to Mary and say, you know, I've had second thoughts about this divorce thing. I think we should go ahead and get married. And I don't, I don't know how Mary responded, but, but I know in my marriage... If I believe a stranger, even if it is an angel, before I believe my wife, it's not going to go real well for me. So they've got this relational stress going on. Not only that, but they've got Caesar Augustus who has issued this decree that everyone has to go back to their hometown to register. And we talked about that last week. So now they have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem which is not an insignificant journey. And Mary is, you know, eight, nine months pregnant. She is great with child. And so any of you moms know that when you are that pregnant, traveling is not something you want to do. Not to mention in all kinds of weather, over rough roads on the back of a donkey, And maybe that's what got things moving. I don't know. But um, this is not an easy trip for them. So they get to Bethlehem, and some of you know the story. They have no place to stay. And again, I imagine their relationship. Joseph, really? I know you're not a planner, but Motel 6, Airbnb, call the family. No place to stay, really? There's stress going on. And then it gets worse. There's another character in the Christmas story. You could call this person an unsafe person. 
Anybody got unsafe people in their lives? These are not just disappointed people. They're not just stressed people. These are people who are caustic and abrasive and even abusive. These are people that you that you're really kind of afraid to be around. Got any of those folks? Well, no matter how unsafe the person in your life is, I can pretty much guarantee he would he or she is not as unsafe as Herod the Great. And just by the way, if you have any relatives who have their name ends in the great, you probably got some really big issues going on there. Um, so Herod decides he doesn't want there to be another king. He wants to be the only king. He decides he's going to kill every infant under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph are. Imagine living under that. Here's what happens. Matthew 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And this is, this is a real story with real people. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Not only do they have everything else going on, you know, the scandal of being pregnant, not being married, and, and having to travel, and, and, oh, by the way, having to raise the Son of God. But now Herod is actually trying to kill their boy who they're supposed to protect, and they're going to have to leave. And they're not just going to have to leave their house or their family. They've got to leave their country. They have to leave their culture. They have to leave their language. They have to go to Egypt. And just so we remember, Egypt is the place that the Israelites had escaped from when they escaped from slavery. So this is not really a place they wanted to go. Some of you may be familiar with the stress scale. It was created by a couple of psychologists, Holmes and Ray. Anybody familiar with this scale? You can Google it, and Ray is spelled R-A-H-E. And you can go online and you can take this stress scale. And what you do is you, you know, you tick off all the things they give you. I think it's 43 different items that you tick off the things that are go- have been going on in your life over the last six months. And then you get a score. And the lower the score, the better off you are. But the higher the score, the more at risk you are of having a major health breakdown. And so if you score 300 or higher, you are off the charts and you are really likely to have a, a, a health breakdown. So I went online and then this week I took this test from Mary and Joseph's perspective just to see kind of where they were. Um, had they gone through a marriage? Yeah, that's 50 points. Loss of a job? Yeah, for Joseph. Divorce? No, but they talked about it. Um, Pregnancy? Yes. Major financial change? For sure. In-law troubles? Oh, I think so. (laughs) Move? Had to go to Egypt. Gain a new family member? Obviously. 
Major business adjustment? Yeah. Outstanding achievement? Give birth to the Son of God. Um, check. Major holiday? They invented Christmas. So that one's for sure. Targeted for death by an egomaniacal despot. There's not even a, a number score for that one. So according to my calculations, they scored 550 on the stress scale. Um, The idea that all is calm, all is bright, I don't think so. There are other characters at that first Christmas we could talk about. We talked about the shepherds last week, these these guys who were kind of outcasts, and they were there. Um, What about the magi? I mean, what's up with these guys? You know, hey, there's a star. Let's follow that, you know. There's a lot of stuff going on there. The point of all this is that when we have this idea, if I could just live in that little circle Jesus lived in, I mean, it was so easy for him. No, it wasn't. He lived in the real world with real difficult people, and yet he always, always, always gave love. He always gave hope. So for these last few minutes, I want us to think think about three things that are a part of the character of Jesus that are required to give the gift of hope to the people around us this season, even the disappointed, even the stressed, even the unsafe. The Gospel of John gives the Christmas story from a heavenly perspective. John writes, The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first two things we need in order to give hope are right here. They flow out of the nature of Jesus. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. If you want to give hope to people this Christmas, try giving them grace. Jesus did this all the time. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. And uh, the elders of the town, the Pharisees of the town, brought this woman before Jesus. And they said, what, do you, what should we do with her? The law says we should, we should stone her. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. So you guys go right ahead. Whoever among you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And one by one, they each dropped their stones and walked away. And so Jesus then turned to the woman and said, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she said, no, sir. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. You see, John tells us in John 3.17 that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, Jesus was full of grace 
There is nobody in your life who doesn't need grace. And you can be a grace giver. When I give the gift of grace, what I'm, I'm saying is, I'm not in a position to judge you. You might say, well, but Keith, they don't deserve it. No, they don't. But neither do I. And neither do you. You see, only God knows what people deserve. Here's the thing. I don't know your background. I don't know your hurts. I don't know your wounds. I don't know your scars. I don't know what you grew up with. I don't know why you're disappointed or, or why you're stressed or why you're unsafe. But what I do know is that when I give grace, I'm being like Jesus. And when I give grace, I am promoting hope. When I give grace, I am laying a foundation upon which hope can grow. Jesus was full of grace, but not just grace. He was also full of truth. And what we need to understand is that grace without truth is not really life-giving. It is not really hope-producing. Oh, you might let someone off the hook if you're being gracious to them, but you are not promoting hope in them because, as I said earlier, hope is always about a preferred future and it implies growth. It implies moving from a current state to a better state. And if we just let people off the hook and let them stay in this current state of whatever, then we're not really promoting hope in them. Growth only takes place when we have the soil of grace in which we plant the seeds of hope or the seeds of truth. But truth can be really hard. You know, often I find that I'm great at telling people truth in my imagination. In my imagination, I have these conversations with people where I'm very articulate and very gracious and I have just the right words, and, and they hear what I have to say, and they say, wow, Keith, I never thought of it that way. You are so right in my imagination. But when I have to really have that conversation, it's a whole lot different. It, there's, it's just hard sometimes. But real hope comes when we speak truth. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians, when Jesus is in our lives, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. See, when we speak the truth in love, we enable growth. Paul goes on to say, toward the end of chapter 4, he says that we're, only supposed to speak, though, in words that can be heard by the other person, in words that, that benefit them, that build them. And so we have to be really careful in, in how we say what we say. There's going to be somebody in your life in this season, some of those difficult people who have been hurting others, 
interacting in inappropriate, in inappropriate ways. They've done things that are unfair or damaging or harmful or dishonest. If we want to give the gift of hope, we need to love them enough to speak the truth in love. So the gift of hope, it takes the soil of grace. It takes the, the seeds of truth. And then the third thing it needs is time. I love people enough to give them grace. I love them enough to, to speak the truth so that they can look at a mirror and, and see, live in reality. But then I recognize that, that change isn't going to happen overnight. I don't know about you, but I can get kind of impatient. You know, I, I'll have... <laughs> You know, I'll have a conversation with somebody, you know, and I'll muster up my courage and I'll speak the truth to them one time and then I don't see change. And I say, well, talking to them doesn't work. I tried that once, you know, <laughs> right? I, anybody else get impatient? I put stuff in the microwave for one minute and with four seconds left, I open the door. Yeah, you don't do that too, Right? I can't wait four seconds. I do that with people. I just want to microwave them. I mean, not literally. <laughs> well, sometimes maybe I do. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I want to be able to have one conversation, say one sentence, give one word of truth, and then expect things to be different. Um. I can be such an idiot that way. Because these, this, these are patterns. These, this is the way they've been for weeks, months, years, decades. Why should I expect them to change just like that? That doesn't give hope. Jesus tells this great story one time where a guy has planted a fig tree. He comes to it. It's been about three years, no figs. So he says to the gardener, cut it down. This tree is no good. But the gardener says, no, not yet. Let's give it another season. Let's give it another year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. I'm I'm working on this tree. Don't cut it down yet. The gardener in this story, of course, is God. It's Jesus. And he's still at work. Guys, this season, there will be somebody in your life, probably multiple somebodies, who need the gift of hope. And for that hope to grow, they need the soil of grace. They need the seeds of truth. And they need time. You may want to give up on them. But here's the thing. You're not in charge of them. God is working on their tree. Just like he's working on your tree. Just like he's working on my tree. So the question is, will I bring for these people, I want to love these imperfect, real people, these disappointed, stressed, even unsafe people, will I give them grace and truth and time? Because that's how you bring hope. 
Just one more thing. And this is probably the most important thing for you to hear this morning. You are not a grace and truth and time factory. You don't produce it. But you can be a conduit of it if you will just allow yourself to be loved by Jesus. There are these wonderful verses in the book of Isaiah where God is talking to Israel kind of like he might be talking to you this morning. They're living in a real hard world, a lot of disappointment, a lot of stress, a lot of unsafe people, not much peace, not much hope. They don't know if they're loved. See, I, I can't really love somebody else if I don't know that I have more love than I need come in my direction. And that's where these folks were. And so God says to them in Isaiah, he says, you know, even if a mom were to forget her baby, I could never forget you. That's how much I love you. And then he says, your name is engraved in the palm of my hand. That's how much God loves you. He's got a tattoo of your name. In the palm of his hand. And friends, that's what Jesus came to show us. He was born in a manger. And he lived with disappointed people and stressed out people and very unsafe people. And he gave them grace. He gave them truth. And he gave them time. And then he went to the cross. And he stretched out his hands. And they took these big cruel spikes And your name got engraved in the palm of his hand. He loved you so much that he died for you. So that you could have life. So that you could have the hope of glory with him. Would you pray with me? Just in the quiet of your heart, I want you to think about that person or maybe those people, those relationships in your life that are kind of bumpy, kind of scratchy, difficult. You're not quite sure what to do with that. What you can do right now is you can talk to God about it. Maybe the hurt goes deep. Maybe your pain is raw. And you don't have any idea where to start. God knows. You don't have to figure it out right now what you're going to do or what you're going to say. You, all you have to do is bring your heart to God right now. You just need to let go of the bitterness, the resentment that has been keeping you in prison. 
keeping you in fear. It's been filling you with anxiety. You can let go of that. You can just give that to God. He died for that. Lord Jesus, in the stillness of this moment, we remember that our hope does not come from without, but it comes from within because of you. You are our hope. I pray in this room right now, God, that there would be a ministry of healing grace and truth and love that would be the miracle of Jesus all over again, that you would meet us right where we are. That we would see that because of those nail prints, our name is in your hand. You love us that much. And we can share that hope with others. We pray this for your name's sake. Thank you.